Hello, everybody, and welcome back to Fantastic Minute, the Internet's favorite podcast where we talk about Fantastic Mr. Fox one minute at a time. I'm Tyler Boudreaux. And I'm Tondra Boudreaux. And we're t- here to talk about Minute 2 of Fantastic Mr. Fox. Starts with the Bogus Bunsen Bean poem wrapping up and ends with Mrs. Fox saying that nothing is wrong with her. Do we have her name yet? No. He just asks, what did the doctor say? So we have not actually met either character in a title sort of way. Well, we are to presume that it's fantastic Mr. Fox, because in the middle of the minute we get the book that is the title card of the movie, so it's a hand holding the book, Fantastic Mr. Fox, by Roald Dahl, now a major motion picture, American Empirical something. Picture. Okay, so first of all with this book, who's holding the book? Because there's a hand... With a very dirty fingernail. It makes me want to say it's a farmer reading this book. Maybe one of Bogus Bunsen Bean's children, for example. Anything is possible here. That would be embarrassing if you were reading the book in which your, <laughs> your parents are made to look foolish. I mean, it could just be an interested reader, like you or I. You make it sound like I would be interested in reading. Speaking of reading, we read the poem in the beginning. That's a good segue. And the poem finishes. We get... These horrible crooks, so different in looks, were nonetheless equally mean. Nonetheless is three different words. Like, traditionally, one word. Am I, am I wrong? Not always. It depends on whether it's meant as a transition, like, nevertheless. Yeah. Or a three-separate-word kind of statement. My other quibble is equally mean, because I think we find in the film that Bean is probably the meanest of them all. I mean, we only see, so, and this is getting super ahead of us, but Mr. Fox really only is, hurt, like, the epitome of his, like, hurting is on Mr. Bean. So yeah, it makes sense why he's leading it right now. Yeah. But he is definitely the meanest of the three, as we will see. Then why say, nonetheless, equally mean? I believe it's because they were much more, the other two characters were much more mean in the book. And okay. the poem does actually come directly from the book. I, I suppose that's fair. Another thing with the book, that's the title card. You see the image on the book is Mr. Fox standing in front of a tree, and then it transitions directly to the claymation of Mr. Fox standing in front of the tree. With leaves on it, though. It is a different time of year in which he's standing on the tree. Fair. Which I think definitely... There are a lot less. There are no leaves on the book, and then there are a few stragglers left on the tree in scene. So I think kind of places time a bit better. Although, just to say, the hand in the title page, title scene, is also claymation. All right, fair. So, yeah, we get the same tree, and then we see Mr. Fox. He's doing some stretching. He's... Jogging in place, warming up for something, it's really unclear what. He plucks an apple off the tree. After eating some hay, though, he does pull a John Wayne kind of pose and has the hay hanging out of his mouth. Yes, he has a strain of wheat or something. Well, my question about the apple is, there's this one apple that's at the lowest point of the tree. Why is that apple still there? Usually the apples from the bottom get picked first, because there's no other apples on the tree. So that what? Maybe it's his own tree, and he was saving that one for the right minute. <laughs> minute two. He's been waiting. In my note, I have, how apple, question mark. How does that apple grow there? Another thing with the tree is, and we'll notice this a lot 
with Wes Anderson is that it's very parallel. The shot we see is the tree and Mr. Fox in the middle of the screen and sky on either side of him. Actually, in the sky is really interesting because cloud and leaves kind of moving around. And birds, too, I think. I think instead of parallel, you're looking for symmetrical. Symmetrical, Um, whatever. um, I definitely noticed that, too, in the layering of the clouds. There was this beautiful dark-to-light transition um, in the background, and then the foreground had this little, like, rock stone fence and some little bushes and there's a lot of detail in all kind of moments of that one shot which was really quite lovely and then we turn around 180 degrees and see mrs fox walking straight towards us slash mr fox Mm -hmm. which is something that wes anderson loves to do he likes to have a a very wide angle on something and then turn 180 degrees for another wide angle and he also the pov shot is a very yeah him thing yeah definitely i want to talk about mrs fox who we will later learn her name is felicity um, felicity fox felicity fox what but a mr mr fox name. never gets a first name mr fox does not get a first name so we will have to call him mr fox but felicity she moves unbelievably quickly it is so cool to watch her kind of move up that hill it you just see her kind of go out of sight and then just appear kind of thing and her legs are just so lanky and you it actually to some extent it makes sense that she's moving that quickly because her body is just so tall and graceful and moves so well it's such a clean move for stop animation especially um stop motion that it it really it's a very cool introduction shot yeah, and I like the stylized nature of how how all of the animals move in this. is very interesting. It looks very old-fashioned, like when you watch an old Western, and there's an action scene, and it, you can tell that it's, like, sped up. Mm-hmm. It looks kind of like that, and it's definitely not as crisp and natural as another claymation movie, like Coraline, came out in the same year. All the motions in that looked very human mm-hmm. and very natural, but in this, it's definitely stylized think it very much harkens to the way Wes Anderson directs and has that kind of feel. It feels very much like his other works in the way that yeah. people not necessarily move, but the way he presents them to move. Yeah. Something else I wanted to point out is the delightful hip-hop that Felicity gives. She is just, there's so much sass when she comes to standstill. She just, it's this lovely like leg hip-hop hand on the hip and she's also got this killer headband that i'm so into she doesn't wear it again throughout the rest of the film that i can remember off the top of my head but it's just so like here i am i am a no nonsense like it says so much about her character in this one single shot yeah it's amazing what a good director could do with no dialogue even before they talk we see mr fox jogging around eating an apple, spitting it out, looking very cool. You can learn a lot about him and his cocky nature just within those first 10 seconds of seeing him. And the same thing with Felicity. You learn that she's no-nonsense, fashionable. Both of them are very fashionable, by the way. Very fashionable. His suit. I I was going to bring up Mr. Fox's suit, too. And the way it falls right above the knee, it's very knicker style. I'm so into it. And I like that all of the animals in this film wear clothes. Yes. They wear shirts and pants, as far as I can tell. Mm-hmm. They're all clothed. 
And some I think wear dresses, but... Some wear dresses, yeah. And so if they're naked, they're naked, and if they're clothed, they're clothed. Mm -hmm. Which I think is cool. I think it definitely helps establish the kind of world they live in. It's refined. Certainly. Uh, Mr. Fox has a Waxonic radio. Classic. Playing the delightful Davy Crockett, which I wanted to bring up. So this transition between the American empirical picture little score bit is just the dun 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 and then it transitions so beautifully into Davy Crockett and you get to hear parts of Davy Crockett that aren't always heard which is really nice but it has this nice radio quality to it that what are you talking what are you talking about aren't always heard it's the first verse so well I guess in the soundtrack version so going to the soundtrack and listening to it you actually get a couple verses that are not for example in the Davy Crockett TV show, like, opening credit soundtrack. So it is, they pick sections of Davy Crockett that fit along with Mr. Fox's nature, because the whole, the actual song is seven, eight stanzas. It's a very long song, but you only hear these few key moments, but the ones that are at least played in the soundtrack very much fit in with the agrarian, down-to-earth, kind of cocky, Mr. Fox. Yeah. So they're very fun. But my question is, what radio station is playing the ballad of Davy Crockett? I mean, they're out on the farm. They're out in farmland. It, it's got to be a popular. And if you kind of look at the way their clothing is styled, and although it's kind of hard to tell with some of the equipment they use later, it definitely isn't today. Yeah. And that song. I kind of picture sixties, seventies. I do too, except for the supermarket, which is at the end of the film, and we'll get there. But that song was unbelievably popular in the 60s and 70s, to where the point where I would believe it would be on the radio. Alright. I think it fit so well, and it kind of it gave an agrarian farmer feel, working along with the backgrounds that were farmlands, and these yellow and brown tones that settle in the mood, like what we were talking about with the poem in the last minute this color palette that we're going to see continue throughout the film, and it really gets established in just the basic music, and the colors, and the backgrounds to the logos again. It's very much an autumn color palette. That's why I'll probably say this again, but to me this is the best Thanksgiving movie, because it really captures, I mean, obviously the food is foul, F-O-W-L, very appropriate for the Thanksgiving theme. And the, the color schemes, and just the, the family-oriented feel of it. And I think, in the end, the message is, be thankful for what you have. Yeah. Which is Mr. Fox's ultimate moral lesson. Absolutely. But that's skipping ahead. Yeah. I'm going to bring out Meryl Streep, all hail her, but she, in one word, you get the exasperation that Felicity feels, and her and George Clooney, while they never recorded together, their talent behind the voices, George Clooney playing Mr. Fox and Meryl Streep playing Felicity Fox, they do such a good job putting off the kind of character the two have, and they can do it in such few and poignant words. And I'm sure I'll talk about this again later because Meryl Streep just has some really great lines in this, but that nothing at the beginning after that little hip-hop, it's just... It fits, and yeah. she does such a good job. To be clear, Mr. Fox again asks, what did the doctor say? And Meryl Streep says, nothing. That's all we hear in this minute. And it's still, it tells you, it tells us so much 
Mr. Fox is up to the minute, wants to know. He's a very clever, quick-witted person. He's straight to the point. He doesn't say hello. He doesn't mm-hmm. say, oh, how are you? I think, I mean, that even comes off in the way he ate the apple. and He didn't he didn't seem to be enjoying it, so he spit part of it out. Or he bit too much of it, and he got some seed and spit it out. Yeah. He's very no-nonsense. Yeah, and I guess, talk, you were talking about the casting. I, I really do feel like it's perfect casting. For George Clooney, certainly because Mr. Fox is sort of this quick-talking, skilled character. He's kind of a combination of a Danny Ocean and a Ulysses Everett McGill from Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? Definitely. Danny Ocean in that he's a thief, but he's very smart and classy. (laughs) But also I see that Everett McGill in that sometimes he'll just talk so fast to try to get out of a situation. And sometimes he's not that smart. Sometimes you can tell that he's just kind of talking to to get someone on his side or talking to get out of a tight spot, which is what he does in Oh Brother, Where Art Thou? so well. I really think it's a good mix of the two, and which is why I think George Clooney is so well cast. And Meryl Streep, I like that Meryl Streep is kind of playing younger. Mm-hmm. It almost took me a second to remember that it was Meryl Streep because nowadays she only plays these older characters, but I guess when you're voicing, it doesn't really matter. Mm-hmm. When she filmed this, I mean, she was just, she was at peaking. Like, not that she's pe- not fully peaked, but she, she, I mean, she just keeps She's been peaking for 45 years. Yeah, but on, like, the string of films she was coming out with when Fantastic Mr. Fox got thrown into the mix were some of, at least, the younger generation, when they think of Meryl Streep, they think of, like, The Devil Wears Prada, and that that's the first one that comes to mind for me, but I'm I like, try not to think of Mamma Mia, but some people do. Yeah, so it's like, there are all these kind of iconic for at least a younger generation's role, so that she fits the voice and getting this cool, kind of classy, headstrong lady. And it's so much, I think Felicity Fox really embodies some of the ideals and personality quips and important things that Meryl Streep so frequently speaks about in her speech, her acceptance speeches for things and just. <laughs> All her acceptance speeches. No, she talks about, like, not taking no, being strong and powerful, and being willing to fight for something, and Felicity Fox does these things, and the ideals match up so beautifully. And it's interesting because these aren't actors, I say actors in the general, Mm -hmm. non-gender term, these aren't actors that traditionally work with Wes Anderson, they're not your Bill Murray's, your Jason Schwartzman's, your Owen Wilson's. So it's interesting to see the really perfect casting. And Pixar does it too. They don't cast the biggest stars. They cast the right people. They make, and I'm sure we'll look into this at some point, if whomever wrote this wrote it with George Clooney and Meryl Streep in mind. Because to me it just makes so much well, sense. Well, Roald Dahl, I don't think he has. No, no. But the, the script adaptation. I wonder if that had something to do with it, because someone, like, to go back to Pixar, for example, they uh, they wrote Dory with only Ellen in mind. Yeah. Like, it was Ellen, or they might not have made the film kind of yeah. thing, and it makes sense. Certainly. And you have these great, great actors, George Clooney and Meryl Streep, just as the main two actors. That That's enough to carry an animated film on its own, mm-hmm. and the supporting cast that we'll meet later is even more so. And... Other than that, I really... It's a great minute. Like, it's such a good starting minute. You you get some 
like really fun establishing music. You kind of set into the time period, the style, the f- like flair. You get the characters. Yeah. Um. It's it's a it's a fun instance. It's, kind of thing. Yeah, it's amazing what you can do in so little time. And we'll get into more dialogue in the next minute, and that'll be interesting. So, yeah, that was Minute 2 from Fantastic Mr. Fox. I'm Tyler Boudreau. I am Condra Boudreau. This has been Fantastic Minute, and I hope you have a fantastic day. Goodbye.